Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Eaglemont. If you're visiting with us, I'm glad that you're here, whether in person or if you're watching online. So glad you've joined us. I'm especially excited today to have all of our kids with us this morning in service. Now, kids, I need to hear from you. If you are 12 and under and you're in this room, I need you on the count of three to give the loudest noise you can make. You ready? One, two, three. Close. Let's try that one more time. Kids, 12 and under. You ready? As loud as you can on three. One, two, three. Nice. All right. So kids, you're going to be really important in what we're going to be doing this morning, okay? I need your help. Two things I need your help with. First of all is this. I grew up as a pastor's kid, which means my whole life as a kid, I sat through Sunday morning services and listened to a preacher up front. One of the things I noticed in my church growing up is there was this one gentleman. His name was Al. And Al fell asleep during every sermon on a Sunday morning. So I need you to help me out because some of the adults can be a little sleepy on Sundays. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little test and you guys are going to help me out. Everybody in the building, I'm going to ask, we're just going to do a little echo exercise, okay? So I'm going to snap my fingers. What I want you to do is use either your feet by stomping or your hands by clapping to echo the noise I make with my fingers. You ready? Okay, close. Happy you were there. Let's try it again. Ready? Okay, so here's what we're going to do, kids. A few times through the morning, I'm going to do this. Oh, see? And you're going to find the adults that are falling asleep and aren't echoing back, and then I want you to do this. You let them know you're watching and you notice, especially if it's their parents, you make sure you let them know. So that's job number one. Job number two, okay? Our message this morning is going to be a little bit different. Uh, when I was a kid, one of the, the books, I wasn't a big reader, but I loved going to the library uh, and used to rent out these choose-your-own-adventure books. How many of you have ever read a choose-your-own-adventure book? Okay, yes. Okay, so here's the way it works. You get to choose what direction we're going to go in this morning. In these books, you would choose which chapter or what decision the character would make next, and they would tell you what page to turn to. So kids, on the screen in front of you, today we're going to be talking about things that I've learned from my family. Now, there should be a picture in front that has eight pictures on it. Can you guys see that? Okay, I can't see it, so I'm trusting you. Okay, here's what we're going to do. You kids are going to be the ones who are going to choose where we're going to go and what we're going to talk about this morning. So each time we come back to this picture, I'm going to ask for you, and I need kids, you, get, you talk really loud, yell really loud, and I want you to tell me what number we're going to, Okay. Now, we're going to give a chance for people online a little later. You get to choose one as well. But kids, you're going to determine where you're going to go. Can you help me out? Kids? Yeah? Okay, awesome. So, I need someone under the age of, under the age of 12 who can choose a number between 1 and 8. You choose what picture we're going to go to next. Yes. Picture number two. Awesome. All right. So this morning, we're going to talk about things that I've learned from my family growing up. So this is picture number two. You saw a guy hitchhiking on the side of the road. So I want to talk about one of the, the lessons I learned from my family, which is this. Brokenness does not equal worthlessness. Now, one of the things you'll, you'll notice as I talk about my own family this morning is that I had a really good family. I had good parents. I had good siblings. We fought, but we, for the most part, we, we had a good family. Now, with that, sometimes we can get this picture that family is perfect, and you can hear a lot of funny stories from me about my family, 
And while I'm thankful for them, I want to be clear. My family was not in any way perfect. I was, but they had their faults. So I'm going to tell you the saddest, most pathetic runaway story you have ever heard in your life. I would have been about nine or ten years old, and my parents were getting on me for doing things that I didn't agree with them on. Now, my parents were pretty good parents, but sometimes, have you guys ever had a parent that you felt was unfair or unjust in how they disciplined you? You don't think they were being fair, you were right, and they were wrong. Anybody feel that way before? Okay, I see even some adult parents looking at their parents. All right, good. Okay. So, uh, I had I, I had gotten in trouble, and I did not in any way agree with my parents. In fact, this time I was so, so angry that I actually decided that was it. I was done. I'm leaving. So I was around nine years old. I grabbed my duffel bag for school, and I was running away. I packed my bag with all the candy I owned, some potato chips, and one shirt. I was very thorough in my packing. And I left the house, and I booked it for the, we lived by a big forestry reserve, and I booked it across the street, and I was done. I moved into the forest. My runaway lasted two and a half hours, and then it started getting dark, and I started getting hungry for something more than candy, and I realized I didn't bring any water, and I decided to come home. But I can tell you, I did not leave for no reason. I was so angry and I felt things were so unfair in my house. Now, my story is a little silly, but some of you in your families that you've grown up in, you've experienced real brokenness. Some of you adults have seen real dysfunction in your families. What does that mean? How do we handle that? Does that mean you are dysfunctional and worthless? Does that mean that your family is worthless and worth just discarding and running away and leaving? I think sometimes we have a misconception of what family is to be and an expectation. We often have a misconception of what Jesus requires from our families. Because sometimes we think Jesus requires absolute perfection from them. And if we've grown up in a family that isn't perfect, that doesn't fit the model that we've seen, we almost don't know what to do with them. Yet when we read the Bible, if you guys go through the Bible, what you'll notice is from the very beginning of the Bible, family is filled with imperfection. The very first human family, Adam and Eve, were the first ones to sin and brought dysfunction. And through the entirety of the Old Testament, we see character after character after character who make a plethora of mistakes. Liars, cheaters, adulterers, thieves, murderers. You talk about dysfunctional family, read the Bible. Yet this whole line of all these characters that we see, some some wins, but a lot of failures, this entire line where all this dysfunction exists, all of those people were actually part of the lineage of Jesus. Those were Jesus' family. What do we do with brokenness in our own lives and the brokenness of the lives of people that we live with in our families? Your brokenness and your family's imperfections and brokenness do not disqualify you or make you worthless. So I think, think about it this way. I remember a preacher when I was a kid who gave this illustration. How many know what this is? 
How much is it worth? Okay. Would anybody like this $5 bill if I gave it to you? Would you like the $5 bill? Okay. But here's the thing. I'm going to crumple it up. Do you still want this $5 bill? Really? It's, it's bent now. Okay. What about this? What if I really, like, really crumple it up? Would you still want this? You're sure? Okay. But what if I stomped on it and wiped it under my armpit? Would you still want this $5 bill? Are you sure? Okay, come and get it. Now, why would you want this $5 bill still? Because it's still valuable. That's right. Because it's worth $5. Great. Thank you. The reality is, is that your life has a value. No matter what happens to you, the Bible tells us that every human being on earth was made in the image of God and with that has inherent value. You have value because God, the God who created everything, made you in his image. So how do we respond to the brokenness we have in our own families? Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, uh, just, sorry, just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Now, these statements, that's the ground, that's the the ethos, the environment that family is supposed to actually thrive in, where there is compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, where we bear with each other. Right after these is when Paul gives his instructions in verse 18 to 21 for how husbands and wives are supposed to relate, how kids are to obey their parents, and fathers are supposed to relate to their kids, because all of those relationships are supposed to exist in this kind of environment. Forgiveness is a key part of that. Now with that, there is still need for healthy boundaries. For those of you adults who have grown up in dysfunctional homes, if you are in a home where there is abuse, that does not mean that you simply have to live in the abuse. There still needs to be healthy boundaries. But how do we respond to the brokenness around us? We need to allow for each other's brokenness. We can't have a standard that's not a standard that God requires. God says we're supposed to build an environment that allows for the freedom for our brokenness to find healing. Not to put a standard that says you're not allowed in. Parents, I ask you this morning, how do you deal with the brokenness in your life? How do you respond to those whose imperfections and mistakes have affected you? Whether that be your boss, whether that be your pastor, whether that be your spouse, whether that be your parents, whether that be your government, how do you respond? Because you are modeling to your kids how they deal with the brokenness in the world around them. Have healthy boundaries, but also recognize and give room for brokenness and give grace, compassion, and forgiveness to those around you. All right. Kids, I need someone else who can choose our next number, our next picture. We're going to go back to that picture. All right. I need someone who can choose for me. Okay. Uh, Cash and Scout, can you choose together? 
Number five, thanks. I'm partially deaf. Thank you. Okay, number five. We're going to move to number five. Number five. All right, here we go. Number five is this. Comfort and pleasure is not the marker of love. Real love has cost. And I'm guessing that your mom probably liked this one because she saw the picture of Anna Green Gables. All right. Now, how many of you have siblings, you have brothers or sisters that sometimes push your buttons a little bit, that you maybe once or twice you fought with your siblings? Anybody? Oh, thanks for the honesty, guys. Yeah, me too. My siblings really knew how to push my buttons. My, my sister, who's three years older than me especially, she was really good. She used to, I used to have really bad buck teeth when I was a kid, so you should ca- call me this cartoon character, Captain Bucky O'Hare, because of my buck tooth appearance. Um, But those who are closest to us sometimes can often cause us the greatest pain. That's just the reality. Those who we love and are closest to us can sometimes cause the greatest pain. Growing up, I have to do a confession this morning on the theme of pain and discomfort. I have watched all of the Anna Green Gables movies three times. Pain and discomfort are the key words. Here's the reality. In the Deardall house, we had two girls, two boys, two sisters, two brothers, one mom, one dad. Choosing movies for a movie night was a very difficult battleground. Is it going to be Bond? Are we going to watch the new Bond movie? Are we going to do puzzles and watch Anna Green Gables again? I don't know if I actually was conscious during the watching of Anna Green Gables, but I've seen them all, and it was painful. But the reality is, is that family sometimes brings pain in our lives. Disney has worked really hard over the years to present this utopian picture of love, that love is whimsical and happy, and it's, everything is perfectly in sync and going our way. But that's not actually the true picture of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is, what the, is called the love chapter in the Bible, and it says this, Love is, in verse 4 to 7, love is patient. It doesn't say patient. Patient means it requires patience. And someone's going to require that of us. Love is not self-seeking. It keeps no records of wrongs. And it always perseveres. The reality is, is that love sometimes isn't easy. It's not what just makes me feel good. It's not just pleasure. But real love has costs. When, me, when I was growing up, Kids, you don't know how good you have it now. Like, when you're bored, I've seen lots of you. Your parents have, like, you have your own phone, some of you, or you use your parents' phone, and you can play a game while mom and dad are talking after church. When I was a kid, my parents would go out for lunch, and we would sit there for three hours in a restaurant while my parents would have conversations. And me and my brother would go, at this point in time, some of the restaurants, including Chi-Chi's Mexican restaurant in Surrey, which we loved, had a small arcade. By small arcade, it had one arcade game that would sit in the corner, and it was this old 80s racing car game. And we would sit there and pretend to steer the steering wheel, but my parents wouldn't give us any money because it cost a quarter. <laughs> so we had to imagine we were racing, and we would pretend, and we would yell back and forth of who was winning and who was better. But then after like 30 seconds, the game would re-loop, and it starts all over again, and clearly you weren't playing. Because to actually play the game costs Money. Real love costs something. You can pretend, but real love costs. And God exemplified this in his love for us when he chose us and he sent his own son, Jesus, for me and for you so that you and I could once again be brought back into loving relationship with him. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Okay, kids, do you need to eye anybody? Did you look around? Did you catch them? Okay. All right. I'm behind. I can't see our chat. Did we have? No. Okay. We're going to let, I don't have it on the, on the online. So I'm going to just let kids choose the next one again. All right. Do I have any kids who want to choose the next picture? Do I have someone maybe from this section? Four? We just did four. Okay. So let's go. Yes. Six? Okay. Number six. You got it. All right. I'm not painting the greatest picture of myself, but I want to tell you about the very first basketball team I ever played for. Grade six. I was nothing short of amazing. Four foot nine, 71 pounds. I was awesome. I was horrible. I was, a, like, I was legitimately the worst basketball player on my team. Uh, all, there was only two of us who were in grade six. Everybody else was older. And I don't know what inspired me, but I decided I was going to try out. I was the shortest guy in my class, but I was going to try out for the team. And thanks to the fact that they weren't cutting anybody that year, I made the team. I scored a total of two baskets the entire season. And both of them were a complete fluke. Like, I was, the one time I literally span around and just threw it in the air and it went in. My mom showed up, God bless her, showed up every game and cheered for me. Every game she cheered for me, despite the fact that I was bad. I was the same when I started Little League. My first year, I was three years behind everybody else. And my first year, I was the worst kid on my team because everybody else had been playing for so long. But one of the things that my parents did a good job through things like that when I was younger is help to communicate that my value was not based on how well I did. It was not based on my grades or how I performed in sports. Because love, which is what family is about, is love. Love is commitment. Love is not a feeling, nor conditional on performance. So when I was goofy or funny or sad, didn't matter, I was loved. Ben, going back to that chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about what love is. Love is patient, and love is kind. It also says in verse 7 of that chapter, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. For any Greek students, that word always means always, all the time. Sometimes me and my family are much alike, and sometimes we are exact opposites. Many of you know there is the occasional time I've made reference to the fact that I am a fan of the Flames. I like hockey. It's probably come up once or twice in the eight and a half years I've been here. But I am the only one in my family who does. My brother is a <laughs> Oilers fan. My sisters are Canucks fans. Ugh. My dad is a Fairweather fan, and my mom just wants everyone to get along. <laughs> Sometimes we're opposites, but it doesn't matter. It, it's not about what you do or the feeling that you give me that makes us family. I love you simply because you are family. 
There's a story in the Bible of the, of the prodigal son, a son that goes away and takes his inheritance from his father and wastes it away on frivolous living. There's a picture that, that's going to come up on the screen, and it's a painting, a Rembrandt, that was made, inspired by this story, the prodigal son. Many of you are probably familiar if you've been in church, as he wastes his living, essentially bringing shame and embarrassment upon his father. And he comes back at the point where he has nothing left and desperately comes and just hopes that his father will accept him as a servant. And the father comes and he embraces him. So you look at that picture. And it's symbolic of what God does to us. God doesn't go, you didn't live up to this. You didn't live up to this. You weren't good enough. Get out of my sight. This son was just hoping that his father might accept him as a servant, but not only does that, he runs out and he meets him and he embraces him and he again puts on a robe and says, this is my son. Some of you, maybe your experiences, your family hasn't communicated this, but real family and real love is about a commitment. It is you are loved because you are loved, not because of what you do or what you can provide for someone else. I wrote this statement down because I felt like someone needed to hear it today. What I do gets noticed. How I do it can honor God. But it's who I am that God loves and that brings God joy. Love is commitment. All right, kids, I'm going to get you to pick one more and then I'm going to get Pastor Cherry to come up. Who can choose one more? Yes. Number one. Okay, number one. All right. Number one is the question, what is family? Because we are using the term and we're talking all these different aspects of family, but what is family? Anybody want to take a guess? Thank you for all those guesses. That was good. Um, didn't quite make it. What is family? Okay, here's what the dictionary says. What is family? Family is a group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. That's one Description, family is a group of people related to one another by blood or by marriage. And the third description is the children of a person or a couple, okay? I want to break down, in, in my growing up, I learned about three different rings of family. The first ring is this. Family is your nuclear family. Now, when you use the term nuclear family, that's with, if you grew up, I had a mom, I had a dad, and I had siblings. Those who are directly related to. That's your nuclear family. Then there is extended family. So those would be your grandparents, your uncles, your weird uncle even, and your aunts, and your cousins, okay? But then there is a third ring, and that's one of the things that I learned in my family growing up, is your adopted family. Now, growing up, my family, we moved around, and we lived far away. My mom's family uh, lived in uh, the family farm was just outside of Edmonton in Ardrossan. But we lived and grew up around Vancouver growing up. In our family, that was the closest family we had. My dad's family was in Saskatoon. So we didn't really ever get to spend time with our extended family. We had our nuclear family. But wherever we lived and we moved in different places, God always provided us an adopted family. We had people that to us became uncles and aunts. In the Bible, it says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. God said this, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. 
But to all who did receive him, who received Jesus, who received the miracle of Jesus going to the cross to pay for our sins, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become not slaves of God, not acquaintances, and not even just friends of God, but to become children of God. There's the saying that blood is thicker than water. It's a common saying that comes to family. But family isn't necessarily blood. It's not those who are blood, just those who are blood related to. Family, when it comes to God's family, is washed in the water and paid for by the blood of Jesus. This is why if you've been around Eaglemont for a while, you've maybe heard us say that we're family. Maybe some of you feel it and maybe some of you don't. And I hope that you'll come to experience this more, but it's because God has adopted us as his kids. And in that, one of the great blessings I had growing up is I had people in the churches I was who adopted me. I became like a nephew to them where they had special interest in me. If you haven't done this yet, church family, can I encourage you? Look for someone in our church that you can adopt as extended family. Seniors, adults, Look for some of the kids, some of the teens that are in our church, ones that you can look out for, that you're going to take special interest in, that you can pray for, that you can encourage. Families, kids, can you look for adoptive grandparents who maybe don't have their families close by here, who you can adopt them as an adopted grandma or adopted grandpa? Because we are family. We're to look out for each other and to care for each other. All right. Pastor Charity, I'm going to ask you to come up, and she's going to talk a little bit about heritage. Maybe. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Had to grab that microphone. I grabbed the right one. Uh, I wasn't bragging, Pastor Jaden. I was just clarifying. All right. Um, well, when... Uh, Pastor Joel asked us, we met and we were talking about what we were going to talk about, heritage, when he said that word, it really jumped out at me. And he asked about object lessons that maybe would fit. And this object lesson came to my mind. Um, So I have three candles. Can you see my three candles? Thank you, kids. Grown-ups, I ask for your participation too. Can you see my three candles? Thank you. Now, when we talk about lives, and I have three lives represented here, sometimes people will go, oh, I totally know which one's the grown-up, and I totally know which one's the kid. How many of you think you know which one's the grown-up and which one's the kid? I see some. Well, let's see how accurate you are. So these three candles represent people in my life, people in my family. Uh, The middle one is the one I'm going to light first, because in my family, that is the first person maybe, there we go, that came to know the Lord. My dad was 30 years old when he understood who Jesus was and that he had a plan for his life, that he loved him, died on the cross for him, rose again, and wanted to have a relationship with him. 30 years old. Who here is 30? In their 30s, ballparkish, nice. One. Oh, you wish, Pastor. Sorry. Um, I'm not in my 30s either. Uh, My dad, before he was a follower of Jesus, um, had been an alcoholic, had done some other things he wasn't so proud of, and 
Jesus did an about face in his life. And then he had me. And I, I was pretty special. And that's another story. But anyways, so my heritage came from my father telling me about Jesus. And I made the choice to follow Jesus because of my dad telling me about it. Um, about how Jesus loved me. I was four years old. Now, I do not remember the moment that I asked Jesus to be my best friend. So my testimony is, at four, I knew he loved me and he wanted to be my best friend. But at seven, I remember being in church and the pastor talking about this thing called sin, that we all sin and we fall short of God's glory. And they asked us to raise our hand if we were sinners, and they put a packet in our hand. And when everyone opened their eyes, my mom saw the packet in my hand. She's like, what'd you do? And I'm like, mom, I'm a sinner. And she's like, no, duh. Because boys and girls, we sometimes do things wrong, right? And our parents know it. And so that was when I understood Jesus was my savior. So in as a child, I knew he loved me and was my best friend. At seven, I understood he was my savior. At 10, I understood what lordship was and that in being baptized, I was giving up and surrendering to him and letting him choose my life path. And then the rest is another story. Oh, do you know what, folks? I lit the wrong one. I was focusing on something different. This is my candle because I was four years old. I was so much taller than my dad was. I had so much more of my life to live than my father. There's the comparison. Sorry, I was so focusing on my telling my story, I wasn't paying attention to which candle I lit. So at four years old, I had so much longer to burn than my dad. You see, my dad, who is still living, who's in his 70s now, he only had half of his life to burn for Jesus, where I have my full life to burn for Jesus. Now, my dad told his father about Jesus from the time he came to know who God was. I told my grandfather about Jesus from the time I knew who Jesus was. But guess what? My grandfather didn't make the choice to follow Jesus. He just continued to live his life until he was in his, anybody want to guess his age? Boys and girls, do you guys want to guess? 90s? He passed away when he was 90. I'm not actually sure who led him to the Lord, so I'm going to give him his own light. Because he had, by that point, both of his kids were serving the Lord, or all of his kids, I should say, all three. Most of his grandkids. Um, he was in his 70s. And something about my grandpa... He, too, was an alcoholic. He, too, had made a lot of wrong choices. In fact, he had, um, he had really, yeah, made some negative, negative choices. But when he made a turn in his life and started following Jesus, the change in him was so drastic. When our family would get together, he would actually ask us to come together and say the Lord's Prayer at the end of our family time together. The, the change in him was crazy. So the verse that I have for heritage is you are the light of the world. The verse continues to say, a, 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 wow, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You see, these three lights, each one of them shine their own light. 
and they're bright, and they can be seen by others. We all lived in different places. We all have gone different ways um, and lived our lives differently, but we all shone the light of Jesus, and we all have a different length of time to shine that light, but the light is Jesus. Now, for those of you who are in this place, I don't know which light you are. I don't know how old you were when you asked Jesus into your life. I don't know how long you have been shining or how long you have to shine. But that doesn't matter because if your light is lit, you too are the light of the world. You too can take that candle and bring it wherever you go and you can be a light that lights somebody else. You too can bring that to others. And... If you know someone who isn't lit, wherever they are, you uh, can encourage them as well. Pastor Joel. Thanks, Pastor Charity. That was great. Um, Pastor Marlowe is going to be coming just to uh, conclude us in just a moment here. When we talk about heritage, um, part of that is what is our inheritance that we get? Um, in my family, I, I have kind of two examples that I think of when I think of inheritance. Inheritance, kids, is like when someone goes away, they pass something on to the people that they love behind. So in my family, we often had a, an ongoing joke between me and my siblings of my mom, who would have to take my mom's spoon collection when the time came? And it was like for years, that's a big ongoing joke. And then there is something like this. This is my grandfather's Bible um, that has a lot of his notes and a spiritual legacy that's been passed on. For those of you who are part of Eaglemont and were around in the fall when we talked through soul care, we talked about family sin patterns. The Bible talks about, talks, talks about how we as families, we can pass on both blessings and cursings to the next generation. What are you passing on, families? And I think it's, it's a, a great thought to be thinking about, especially for those of us who get time with our families this Family Day weekend. Think about what are the legacies, what's the inheritance that we want to forward. And I really want to encourage you, parents with kids especially, take some time to talk about that. Talk as couples. Talk with your kids. Talk about the things that you hope to pass on, that you want to see your kids carry on beyond what you were ever able to. Those spiritual blessings to be able to go on. Pastor Marl is going to come and he's going to conclude our morning. Uh, kids... Okay, I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to do it again one more time so you can catch those adults. Okay, ready? Did you get them? Okay, good. Awesome. Thanks so much for your help, kids. Give the team a hand of expressing appreciation for that message today. Well done. Meaningful. And if you don't yet know Christ, and you've not surrendered your life to the God who created you, who wants to walk with you through every aspect of life, including the challenge of family. He's there for you this morning. And all you need to do is say, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm separate from you because of my sin. But you didn't leave it that way, God. You sent Jesus to take upon himself the, the punishment for my sin. Unreal. That word doesn't even fit. It's just, just mind-boggling. Thank you, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. Be the forgiver of my sin. Be the leader of my life. And you, in a moment, 
of expressed faith. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is raised from the dead, he, he will, you will be saved. Saved from this problem of sin that is an eternal problem. Eternity is a long time. But correcting it, as we've been talking about in our Galatians series that we pick up on next Sunday, it's not about working harder or doing better or earning your way. That's too much. I could never do that. I know myself too well. <laughs> None of us could. But God made a way through Christ. If you want to express faith in Jesus, you do that and you, you let us know. We would love to celebrate with you and come alongside and help you put roots down in this, in this new relationship, possibly for you. Uh, if you're um, engaging online, there's a way to uh, maybe put that QR code up there and you can let us know uh, that you made that commitment. Leave your contact information for us to uh, celebrate with you and a commitment to Christ that you may be making today. Um, I don't have my, uh, it's not 1120 yet, 1120 preschool kids, you can pick, uh, uh, parents, you can pick up the preschoolers upstairs. Chairs do not need to come down today. I neglected to mention Wednesday night, Core Course 101, second floor, church lobby here. Uh, go to eaglemont.info and click on the Core Course 101 button. You'll see a four-minute video we recently made that explains or responds to the question, why join the core team? Encourage you to watch it. If uh, Eaglemont is your church family, uh, I encourage you to watch that, uh, that video. And you can also register there for Core Course 101, which is an exploration of all that Eaglemont is. And uh, for those considering membership, or as we refer to it, uh, joining the core team, uh, not that there's a two-tiered deal going on there. But anyway, join us Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, for a 75-minute session. I'd love to see you there. I leave you with this ben benediction this morning from Romans 8, 38 to 39 in the New Living Translation. Paul writes, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Great verses from Romans. God bless you. May you feel and sense and know His strength, wisdom, and provision as you walk with Him this week. God bless you.